Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed. And if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello, and welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and on this episode, we are doing something a little bit different. I know we are coming off of basically an entire week of something a little bit different with our entire week of episodes about the form of the sonnet, and our normal format is to read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again, of course. However, recent events uh, inspired Connor and I to do something a little bit different, and this is an entire episode dedicated to poetry by Palestinian writers. Now, we have done episodes on specific poems by Palestinian poets in the past. You can find those back in our archive. Most recently, episode 117, Fuck Your Lecture on Craft, My People Are Dying, a poem by Noor Hindi, which if you're on Twitter and you're even glancingly in poetry circles, you probably saw that poem circulate quite a bit um, in the last week or so. Back on episode number 88, we talked about Additional Notes on Tea by Fatty Judah, who you will hear mentioned later on in this episode because of the translation work that he has done in addition to his own poetry. And then all the way back on episode 23, we talked about United by Naomi Shihab Nye. Um, a poem of hers will also be later in this episode. Now, this is obviously not the take that we here at Close Talking usually have, but I think there is a perception, probably uh, in the broader world outside of poetry, that poetry is not necessarily uh, an effective means of political egress. Um, poetry is is what you do, and it's nice, but it's for dreamers and hopers and people who want the world to be a better place than those who are willing to do the gritty, dirty work and really get into the the nasty, rough-and-tumble world of politics. Uh, my eternal example of this is an episode of The West Wing that features the poet laureate, and she, at various points, played by the incomparable Laura Dern, becomes overwhelmed with emotion, and she just wants things to change, but that's not how it works. And cranky old Toby, who has a crush on her, has to set her straight. And I think that's a really unfair portrayal of poets and poetry. And... Part of what comes across in the work that you're going to hear in this episode and part of what comes across in the biographies of the people who write it is the immense power that poetry holds because there are people, some of whom you will hear work from, 
who were jailed because of their writing. And partially that's an indication of the repressive regime that they're writing against, but there's a reason that the regime fears their work. And I think that there is no accident that poetry is so often the means through which radical um, political work is done, because poetry itself is inherently radical. It is a form of writing that resists convention and resists rules. And so in the pantheon of literary arts, it is already sort of the radical form. And so it can become a natural fit for resistance. And the first poem, which you're going to hear Connor talk a little bit about and read, is called Resist My People Resist. This poem is by the poet Darin Tatur, who is a Palestinian citizen of Israel, who in 2015 was arrested for a poem and a video that Tatur released with the reading of the poem that she wrote um, over footage of Palestinians um, resisting Israeli military and police. Tatur was convicted on May 3rd, 2018 for the charges of incitement to violence and support for terror organizations. She spent more than two years in jail or under house arrest before then, between 2015 and 2018. And then she served two more months before she was released uh, in September 2018. Tatur after being released, said the following. I regret being sent to prison for a poem, but it will be impossible to stop my writing. So, this is Resist My People, Resist Them by Doreen Tatur, translated by the poet Tariq Al-Haider, from the Arabic into English. Resist my people, resist them. In Jerusalem, I dressed my wounds and breathed my sorrows and carried the soul in my palm for an Arab Palestine. I will not succumb to the peaceful solution, never lower my flags until I evict them from my land. I cast them aside for a coming time Resist, my people, resist them. Resist the settlers' robbery and follow the caravan of martyrs. Shred the disgraceful constitution which imposed degradation and humiliation and deterred us from restoring justice. They burned blameless children. As for Hoddle, they sniped her in public, killed her in broad daylight. Resist, my people, resist them. Resist the colonialists' onslaught. Pay no mind to his agents among us who chain us with a peaceful illusion. 
Do not fear doubtful tongues. The truth in your heart is stronger. As long as you resist in a land that has lived through raids and victory. So Ali called from his grave, resist my rebellious people. Write me as prose on the agar wood. My remains have you as a response. Resist my people, resist them. Resist my people, resist them. The film critic Roger Ebert famously said that the movies are a machine that generates empathy. And I feel like when you hear a poem like that, and when you come to know the stories of the poet behind it, I think poetry functions in a very similar way and captures something equally visceral. Um, This next poem, which Connor will introduce and he'll give a full biography for the poet, but it really puts me in mind of... um, a time when in the United States poetry was doing some significant resistance work, which was the Poets Against the War effort during the second Iraq war. Um, And as part of that, there was this reading that I went to, and one of the poets, who's a family friend, had started this project, and his idea was it was inspired by the sort of shock and awe bombing campaign in Baghdad and this idea that there was such precision bombs and there was a statistic that came out about the bombing that some very high percentage of the bombs and missiles were hitting their targets with a very high percentage of accuracy. But the insight that this poet had was that even those tiny percentages that they were missing by a tiny percent of the time were dozens and dozens of lives and homes and families and the destruction was incalculable and so i don't know how long he did this for but he had a poem that he had written about what would happen if in the city where he lived one precision guided bomb missed its target by one percent and that idea really struck me i was living in chicago at the time and the house we lived in was two blocks north of the Eisenhower Expressway, which is one of the major thoroughfares. So if there is a stealth bomber that is going to target the Eisenhower Expressway and break up this major transportation artery, it could miss by 1% and I, and it would destroy my home. And that kind of reframing of statistics that on the face of them can try and cover over the horrors and realities of what is happening, I think is a powerful service that poetry can provide. And uh, this next poem certainly does that. And it is called The House Murdered. So here is, here's Connor. He's going to tell you a little bit about the author and read the poem. This poem is by the poet Mahmud Darwish, who was one of the most prominent Uh, Palestinian poets and Arab poets and Darwish was born in Alberwa in Galilee uh, that was occupied and uh, raised um, destroyed by the Israeli army and um, as a result of the occupation he lived for uh, years in exile In the 1960s, uh, Darwish became quite known and famous for his poetry to the extent that 
he was actually uh, put in prison for reciting poetry. And he had also been placed under house arrest. And in fact, the Palestinian poet Fatty Judah has translated a number of his poems, which is in a, a book um, called The Butterfly's Burden, which we'll also link to that is really wonderful. We've talked about one of uh, Judah's poems, original poems, um, additional notes on T. Darwish died in 2008. And Judah recently tweeted this poem that I will read. And it feels particularly relevant with both the, the expulsions that have been taking place in East Jerusalem, as well as the airstrikes in Gaza, which have destroyed entire, you know, 80 plus apartment residential buildings, so many homes. And this poem is called The House Murdered, which he wrote, according to Judah in the tweet, 15 years ago. And um, Judah translated this one. It's called The House Murdered. In one minute, the whole life of a house ends. The house murdered is also mass murder, even if vacant of its residence. It is a mass grave for the basic elements needed to construct a building for meaning or for an insignificant poem in a time of war. The house murdered is the amputation of things from their relations and from the names of emotions. And it is tragedy's need to guide eloquence to contemplate the life of a thing. In each thing, there's a being that aches. The memory of fingers, of a scent, of an image. And houses get murdered just as their residents get murdered. And as the memory of things get murdered, wood, stone, glass, iron, cement, they all scatter in fragments like beings. And cotton, silk, linen, notepads, books. All are torn like words whose owners were not given time to speak. And the plates, spoons, toys, records, faucets, pipes, door handles, and the fridge, the washer, the vases, jars of olives and pickles and canned foods, all break as their owners broke. And the two whites, salt and sugar, are pulverized. And also the spices, the matchboxes, the pills and oral contraceptives, elixirs, garlic braids, onions, tomatoes, dried okra, rice and lentils, as happens with the residents. And the lease contracts, the marriage and birth certificates, the utility bills, identity cards, passports, love letters, all torn to shreds like the hearts of their owners. And the pictures fly, the toothbrushes, hair combs, 
makeup accessories, shoes, underwear, sheets, towels, like family secrets hung in public in ruin. All these things are the memories of people who were emptied of things, and the memories of things that were emptied of people. All end in one minute. Our things die like us, but they don't get buried with us. This next poem is by Naomi Shihab Nye, and it really gets at the the way that being an attentive consumer of language is important. And that's something that I think poetry also does incredibly well, because poetry is really concerned with digging into language and exploring all of what it can hold and what it means. And so in this poem, part of what she's examining, and Connor discusses this a little bit before he reads it, is the way that uh, particularly in the United States, media portrayals of Israel-Palestine have a bias, and it is often cloaked in the guise of objectivity. Connor mentions in his introduction a few different studies that were done about major newspapers in the United States, many of which would be considered center-left, and, and also in, in Great Britain it's The Guardian and The New York Times and The Washington Post. And what those studies show is that by and large, their coverage is biased against Palestinians. Now, just in the last couple of days, there has been a new study conducted by Holly M. Jackson, and there's a thread on Twitter, and it is also a full study that she has written up, and the title is The New York Times Distorts the Palestinian Struggle, a Case Study of Anti-Palestinian Bias in American News Coverage of the First and Second Palestinian Intifadas. And basically, her work was analyzing over 33,000 New York Times articles on Palestine and Israel. And by using machine learning, uh, came up with a really uh, pretty stark 16-page study. Now, some of the magic of poetry is that what you'll hear in Naomi Shihab Nye's poem is it captures all of the feelings um, and all of the realities of what that bias can look like uh, in a very different way. This poem is by Naomi Shihab Nye. Naomi Shihab Nye, we have talked about one of her poems, United, one of our earliest. She's one of, one of the great American poets. Um, she was born in St. Louis. Father was a refugee from Palestine and her mother was um, a uh, white European-American. And uh, Nye grew up in both um, Texas as well as Jerusalem, and she is uh, just a, a marvelous poet, and this poem was tweeted recently by the poet George Abraham, and it's by Naomi Shihab Nye, and it particularly resonated and I think is something that I've been thinking about a lot this week with uh, being in the United States 
and sort of oscillating reading about what's going on in East Jerusalem and all over the occupied Palestinian territories and oscillating between that, reading official news sources, and also, you know, being on Twitter and seeing actual footage of what's taking place, you know, reading tweets from people, from Palestinians on the ground, and reflecting, you know, of, of the many biases, media biases uh, that the U.S. media has, uh, which are certainly many, the U.S. media's depiction of Israel-Palestine over the years and in the present day has consistently been, I would say, egregious. And there is significant documented scholarship from communication scholars and politics scholars who have sort of done, you know, examined The Guardian, The Times, The New York Times, The Washington Post, uh, all of their news articles during the 2008-2009 Gaza War and analyzed it for for bias and consistently all of those outlets um, very, very, very much favor um, Israeli perspectives. Um, and another study in particular found that the, the New York Times was, was often um, the most slanted. And this poem is just called Israelis Let Bulldozers Grind to a Halt, which uh, under that is American newspaper headline dropped in our village. And this is the poem. Israelis let bulldozers grind to a halt. American newspaper headline dropped in our village. As if the bulldozers had their own lives and were just being bulldozers, crushing houses, whole worlds, on their own time, no people involved. I am mad about language, language covering pain, big bandage, masking the wound, let, 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 but underneath the hot blood clotting. Something all of these poems make me reflect on are the power of language, both to open one another to another's pain and experience, as well as language's power to mask those wounds, as Naomi Shihab Nye says. And also reflecting on the way things and homes and houses and place and land contain so much. And when there is such violent dispossession of Palestinian homes and destruction and killing, as Darwish says, 
there is mass murder, even if the people are vacated. Although, of course, as that poem notes too, people are killed as well. And finally, I reflect on both Darwish's and Tatur's legacies and use of poetry as resistance and the recognition of the Israeli state of the power and therefore the threat that poetry that speaks the truth and truths plainly and clearly poses. And I think I want to honor their and those poets and all Palestinian poets and writers and artists who have used language and whatever means they can to resist. Um, and I want to reflect that as painful and as difficult as it seems like it can be, it's incumbent for those who are able to listen and encounter those works to do so and to really take in and process and hear these poems. That's going to do it for this episode of Close Talking. I hope you liked this slightly different kind of episode that we put together. Um, obviously, these poems and this episode I don't think they, saying they scratch the surface of Palestinian poetry doesn't even do the scratching of surfaces justice. This is such a cursory glance um, at just a few major writers. Uh, I really encourage all of you out there to dig into the subject of uh, Palestinian poetry. It is a, a vast array of beautiful work. If you're interested in more information about Israel-Palestine and about uh, Palestinian literature specifically, I really, really recommend the latest edition of the Cardboard Box Productions newsletter, Unboxed, which has a huge number of different resources in it. It's got recommendations for other poetry to read and other poets to check out. It also has fiction and nonfiction works, and it's got a whole bunch of other podcasts to listen to, as well as a bunch of different links to documentary and narrative films made by Palestinian filmmakers and directors, and also made about the history of Palestine and the occupation of Palestine. You can, of course, find the Unboxed newsletter by going to Cardboard Box Productions, Inc., Dot com and that's where you can see the latest one and you can also sign up to get it delivered to your inbox every other week so that's going to do it for connor and myself this week major thanks of course to connor for reading those poems and for sharing his thoughts and we will be back with episodes following our more usual format very very soon Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Roster Munley. 
just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us and we love to hear from you. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.